hopefully you are um, having an incredible uh, day today. Um, how many of you know that uh, football season is almost among us already? <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, that's no surprise. Um, I am a, a Buckeyes fan. Any shockers out there? Yeah. Um, and um, I love my son. Um, I love him dearly. Um, he's not. And uh, one of those things is uh, he was young. Um, I thought, well, maybe he just wants to root against a team that, you know, dad wants to root for, and maybe it's this father-son rivalry. And he chose that uh, he, he really loved Michigan State. And I'm like, that's all right. That's all right. They're a good team. They're not the other team, but uh, they're, that's all right. He can, he can enjoy that, that team. Well, as he, uh, he has gotten older and uh, really began to understand what exactly is going on, um, he, yeah, he became a fan. <sighs> I know, right? <laughs> she get choked up. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he became a fan of the other team. And um, now uh, he likes to wear um, certain shirts and hoodies and socks um, of the other team. But um, each and every season, I've got to imagine for whatever team you are a fan of, um, if you are a, a fan of, of any team, uh, it, it begins with a lot of um, wonder. Um, it might even begin with a lot of unknowns. You don't know exactly how it's going to play out. You don't know exactly uh, what's going to happen, um, who's going to be good or not good. And you might have read about the team. You might have read some preseason rankings, some, some preseason um, guesses by experts that get paid way too much money to be wrong. And um, you, you might have some ideas, but um, as the season begins, um, oftentimes uh, it either begins with not much excitement at all or way too much excitement. And as most seasons um, begin, the, the, there's this ramping up as you, you win the first game, right? But it's like, oh, well, you know, that was Bowling Green. <laughs> like, that doesn't really count. Uh, but uh, yeah, we won by 50, um, and our second string looked really good. Second game and third game um, come along, you're like, okay, this is um, it's getting better. It's, it's looking better. Um, but um, you've got your doubts of uh, what's really going to happen. And um, if you're a Browns fan, any Browns fans? So, so sorry, um, just two of you. Holy cow, that's it. Um, two of you. And um, what I've heard from some of you, actually one of you that raised your hands, I won't name any names, Trevor, but um, <laughs> is that the, the Browns always find a way to lose. And uh, you're, you're wondering as the, the game is on and like you're up at halftime and you think, oh, we could, we could, we could do it. But there's that thing in your mind, right? That's like, oh, we're, we're, we're somehow going to you know, fumble it in the end zone and then like hand it off to them so they can run for a touchdown. And sometimes that happens, <laughs> uh, especially for the Browns. Uh, but um, nonetheless, um, as, as though it's, it's not really comparable, but to, to gain an idea of what's happening here in the Gospel of John as we continue this series, that Jesus has shown up um, here on earth and um, he has begun his ministry and there's got to be um, lots of excitement, lots of doubts, lots of wonder. And I've got to imagine that uh, those that were following him were wondering, well, when, when's the, the shoe going to drop? Or is it possible that I'm, I'm wrong and everybody else is right, but they're so excited that this is happening and I believe it's true. And 
So I just want to take a minute um, and review just kind of where we've been the last four months as we've um, been diving into the, the Gospel of John. So over the last four months, so we found ourselves in the Gospel of John. Uh, we've seen um, His presence and importance, that's Jesus, by the way, in the beginning of time, and we've seen uh, the beginning of His earthly ministry. We must remember that Jesus, um, up to this point, um, hasn't uh, laid everything out to us as to why He's here or um, all that um, He's going to do. But these things have come as it was their time. So far, um, Jesus has been called the Word, the Lamb of God, and the Son of God. We've learned that He is not only the giver of life, but that in Him was life itself, and that He was the light of men. We've heard the testimony of John the Baptist confirming that Jesus is the one who was promised decades ago, and that He takes away the sin of the world. We've seen Jesus call His disciples a ragtag bunch that included fishermen, a hated tax collector, a zealot that would have loved to have seen the Roman Empire go away, and others. We've seen him at a wedding performing his first public miracle at the request of his mother as he turned water into wine. We've seen Jesus throw people out of the temple who were disgracing it and taking advantage of the most vulnerable in society. We've seen him interact with Nicodemus, and we've heard him say that one must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. He's compared himself um, to the serpent that was held up in the wilderness that saved the lives of countless Israelites as they acted in faith as they looked upon it. We've also heard Jesus say that God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world might be saved through him as he is the son of God. We've seen him break cultural barriers and extend great compassion as he chooses to reveal himself to people like the Samaritan woman at the well and an invalid who had no hope of ever walking or ever having any place in society, let alone being forgiven of his sin. We've also seen him, seen him feed thousands of people with only five loaves of bread and two fish, and that he provides water that will make us never thirst again. As we get to this point, the Pharisees are mad. Um, so they're chasing him down, and uh, many have left Jesus. And at the end of chapter 6, Jesus asks his disciples, do you want to go away as well? And Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. So, and this is where we find ourselves today as we begin chapter 7. But before we do, let's pray together. God, we know that um, today um, you um, have things that uh, you both want to say to us and that you want to do in our lives. God, we're grateful that you are patient, that you are kind, that you are gracious uh, with people like us. God, we're grateful um, that you've chosen uh, a ragtag bunch of people that we would most likely fit into. God, that you have come not just to, not to condemn the world, but to save it. God, that you have come um, to the sick, not the healthy. God, may today um, you remove distractions. May we hear your word. God, may you change us and challenge us to be more like Jesus today. And may we see him, not just words, not just theology, not just doctrine, but may we see the person of Jesus Christ. For it's in his great and glorious name we pray. Amen. 
Well, I've asked some of my friends this morning um, to come. Uh, we have in John chapter 7, um, 52 verses, um, and uh, they're, they're going to read um, these verses today, and I hope you've got your Bibles. We're going to be looking at lots of other passages um, today. Um, so guys, thanks for coming, and uh, why don't you read God's Word for us this morning? Verse 1, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feasts of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Well, some said he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a, man, I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me? And 
where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring, offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one has ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Thanks, guys. So as you can see, there is uh, much going on in the, the next couple of chapters, um, except for a little part which we'll talk about next week, uh, are uh, of Jesus um, here um, having dialogue at the Feast of Booths, talking to um, disciples, um, talking to um, the Pharisees. And uh, we see that uh, they're getting ready to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And uh, Jesus had told the disciples that uh, he wasn't going now because this wasn't yet his time, but it was their time. This Feast of Booze was something that the Israelites would celebrate. It's something that the disciples, um, they should have gone to, um, to partake in. Um, but yet Jesus, um, I've got to imagine, uh, he went privately, not publicly, so that he would not um, be a distraction. I've got to imagine, too, at this point in Jesus' life, there are many people who uh, were likely inviting him uh, to come and to celebrate um, this feast and this festival with them. And that's not why um, he was going to go. But later we do see that um, he does go um, to the festival, um, just not with the other guys. He wasn't looking for the crowds and, and the fanfare. So what is um, this Feast of Booths? Um, this Feast of Booths, it uh, goes by a few different names in Scripture. Uh, one is obviously the Feast of Booths. Another one is the Feast of Tabernacles. Another is the Feast of Ingathering. And another, um, by its Hebrew name, Sukkot. That last one, Sukkot, is derived um, from a verb meaning to cover over. It's referencing when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and God gave them twigs and branches um, to cover themselves, to protect themselves from both the sun as well as um, the rain. And, and by the way, there, are, um, there is lots of symbolism um, that's happening in this passage um, as well as in uh, the Feast of Booze. And some of it's incredibly clear and some of it uh, we have... Um, some really good ideas as to what um, it means and why it is there. So this is one of Israel's three great feasts um, that they would celebrate uh, throughout um, the year. Um, they would celebrate it at the time of harvest in September, October time frame, where um, they would remember um, all um, that God had provided for them. The other two feasts that uh, were to be celebrated throughout the year of the three big ones, there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 
There's the Feast of Harvest, and then there's the Feast of um, Ingathering. It had several purposes uh, for this feast, but the primary would be to remember that the Lord had provided for them, that He had provided for them in the wilderness, and He's still providing for them today. So this morning, I want to look at um, some passages that um, will help us begin to understand a little bit more of what's going on. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23, and we're going to start with verse 33 we begin to understand this a little bit. And by the way, there's multiple passages uh, within God's Word that uh, describe this a little bit, but uh, this one, um, I think, helps us for today. Leviticus 23, verse 33, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, on the 15th day of the seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy day, or shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It's a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim at times of holy, of holy convocation, for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings each on its proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbaths and besides your gifts and all besides all your vow offerings and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest and the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees and boughs, and leafy trees and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. We could also look in Numbers chapter 29, where there's a little bit more um, that's laid out for details of exactly what um, those um, offerings were to be, exactly how many animals of what type on each and every day. It was quite significant. Um, I encourage you to look that up. Uh, these were in addition to their normal sacrifices and offerings that they were to make. Um, and um, again, it was significant. We noticed that um, it's supposed to be a seven-day feast. Um, and it happens at the end of the harvest season to celebrate God's provision for them. The children, what they would do is, and actually two weeks prior to this, um, they would hear um, the trumpet sound, and that was their cue to begin their pilgrimage um, to Jerusalem. I wonder what that trumpet sounded like this year as John in John chapter 7. So they would go to Jerusalem, and they would set up booths. They would set up these tents, um, and they would live in them. They would eat in them. Their families uh, would come, and it was a joyous time that was marked with celebration. God wanted them to rejoice 
It was a big week-long party. Has anyone been to a week-long party? We should do this just for fun. (laughs) Week-long. That sounds exhausting, doesn't it? It's in my house. I, I vote for Bruce's house since he volunteered mine. Seven days. We're all going to Bruce's. We're setting up tents, and uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun. <laughs> we'll cut down twigs and stuff from your trees, and uh, it'll, be, it'll be a good time. Uh, but it was, it was a joyous time. They were celebrating um, all that God had done for them, who God was. Uh, there was dancing. There was much hospitality, and um, it was um, an exciting time. So not just looking back to what God had done, but also looking uh, to what God uh, was going to do for them in the future as they acted by faith. So as we go back um, into John, we realize that the first 13 verses, it's, it's in the process of just helping us understand uh, what exactly is, is going on. And um, this Feast of Booths really sets um, the context of what is happening. And it really sets the imagery to help us understand uh, what else is going to be um, said here pretty soon. So Jesus, uh, he wanted um, and he waited actually to start teaching in Jerusalem until the middle of the week. He didn't go right away. He went in the middle of the week and then began to teach. And he makes some bold claims um, to be both um, sent from God and um, that he is speaking from God's own authority. In essence, um, Jesus in this moment is claiming to be God himself. As you can imagine, uh, this stirs up, and it has already stirred up, quite uh, the controversy. As people are asking these questions, who is this man? And is he really God? And if he is not, (laughs) it's blasphemy, and we should kill him. So what was the result of this? As they began to ask, is this um, the Christ? Uh, We see um, later that they did indeed uh, want to arrest him and kill him. And the passage that I want to really um, look at um, here uh, for a while is in John um, 7, verse 37 through 39. And it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, um, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus continues um, this um, analogy and this, this word picture of water. And here he talks about the idea that if anyone thirsts, let him come to drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And although this doesn't seem to be a direct quote, um, there are several passages that we can begin to look at that help us understand that he is clearly quoting uh, from his word. We can go back just a couple of weeks and compare it with John chapter 4 as Jesus is there with the woman at the well. And Jesus, in verse 10, answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. In verse 13 and, and moving on, he says, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sound familiar? Later in John 4, 
The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What um, a moment. I oftentimes, as I, I think about um, my Christian walk and um, growing up in church, and for me, and, and maybe you, your story is similar, um, being a Christian was much more about religion. It was much more about a way of life. It was much more about things that you do or don't do. Um, it was rarely ever about um, encountering Jesus, that I who speak to you am He. Because I think as, as, as I began to, to recognize things and God began to open my eyes in my, my high school years, I began to realize that being a Christian really isn't about the rules, nor is it about a way of life. It's about Him. It is indeed about Jesus, knowing Him and following Him and responding to Him. So for us, as we continue with this idea of trying to understand what is it that Jesus is talking about um, in these verses in 37 through 39, we must keep in mind that he regularly uses um, imagery and notable things in Jewish law and culture to reveal who he is. And again, here we are in the Feast of Booths as he is speaking. It said, um, sorry, during the ceremony, there's a large procession um, that would ascend uh, ascended to the temple. It was led by a priest who bore a special golden vessel. And he would leave um, the temple through the water gates and he would go out. Um, and he would gain or, or fill that jar with water and bring it back and pour it um, on to the altar. And this tradition, although we don't find it um, in the Old Testament, it's clear um, that it had become part of their tradition here in these moments. And it was done, we think, on the last day of the Feast of Booths. Well, where are we? On the last day of the Feast of Booths, where Jesus begins to talk about out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So is this reference of God providing water for the Israelites as they were in the wilderness is certainly one of the things that um, we understand this to mean. It's also um, quite probable that it's a reference to the fact um, that God provided them a harvest. And now as they end the harvest season, what's next? It's the rain season. So we are grateful, God, to all that you have provided for us, and we are in faith believing that you are going to provide the rain. It's also um, a promise, as we see here in verse 39, that his spirit would come as they were fully expecting that in the days of the Messiah, that he is claiming to be, um, the spirit would come. And here John helps us understand that this is also the case. Either way, whether it means one of those things or all of those things, um, how profound um, that Jesus uh, would choose um, to do this on the same day that they would do this ritual. So let's look at a few other passages. Some of these you might just want to jot down, some you might want to turn to. Um, if we were to compare uh, with um, Ezekiel 47, in Ezekiel's vision in chapter 47 of the new temple, he describes a temple where the glory of the Lord resides, there in that place, and where there was a seemingly endless spring of water that would come up from the ground, so much so that it was always ankle deep and flowing out 
of the temple. And not just would it flow out of the temple, um, it would flow into dry and desolate areas of land, and there they would now find life. So get the imagery of what Ezekiel is talking about with this river, with this spring that is flowing up from God's presence, that wherever it goes, life is there. We could compare it with Isaiah in chapter 44 and verse 3, where he says, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. That God promises to send his spirit, and when his spirit comes, it will be like streams of water on dry ground. I don't know. Does anybody have dry ground in their yard? You ever seen? No, not now. <laughs> not this morning. <laughs> Uh, imagine, um, has anyone tried to grow anything in dry ground, clay soil? Well, good, because that's not a good idea. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Um, but God can take those things um, spiritually and physically in our lives and where His Spirit um, interacts with us or with His creation in those moments, life springs forth. In Isaiah 58, verse 11, it says, "...and the Lord will guide you continually." and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. God is promising to be the source of satisfaction in life for Israel. Let's look at a few other passages, see what they say about His Spirit. In Jeremiah 24, verse 7, He says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Turn to Ezekiel, if you've got your Bibles, Ezekiel chapter 36. We'll look at verse 25. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put it within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I will give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God." that God takes our hearts of stone and he puts um, his spirit within us. And he says, and I will be your God and you will be my people. He doesn't say, my rules will be your rules. My way of life will be your way of life. I will be your God and you will be my people. That he would so graciously take our heart of stone, and put His Spirit within us. Romans 5, let's turn there. And by the way, you're going to hear lots of these things echoed in other verses as we read them. In Romans 5, uh, verse 1, <clears throat> it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand, and we rejoice 
in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we save him, shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So why is it that all of these things are happening? Because God has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He has given us this incredible gift. Because of God's grace, We have access not to a way of life, not to a system of rules and laws, but we have access to Jesus Christ, to God himself. And that access, that grace allows us to stand, and not just stand, but to stand and rejoice. How many people would stand and rejoice for a way of life, for a a book of rules? Now, we rejoice today because of Jesus and what he has done for us. And we get to do that um, in God's glory, and we get to do it in the suffering for his name. How can um, someone go to prison? How can someone um, be beaten? How can someone um, lose um, all that they have because they believe not in a system of rules, but in a person who is their God? This is why they can do it. And he says that he will pour out his love into our hearts and he will give us the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Are you beginning to get a picture of this promise that Jesus is making in John chapter 7, that rivers of life will flow from our hearts because he has put his spirit in people who have believed in him. This is what um, all of these authors are writing about. And now um, we we get to be um, sons of God, that he adopts us, people like us. I mean, look around the room. I mean, oftentimes we think we're pretty awesome people. But if we're honest in those moments, we realize we're, we're as awful as the next person. He chooses people like us to adopt us, to call us his son, to call us his daughter. And not only does he do all of these things, But we're told in 2 Corinthians that His Spirit that resides within us now serves. It's our guarantee 
of salvation to come. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put a seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Come on. <laughs> Amen, right? It, it's not up to you. It's not up to me to be good enough, act good enough, be worthy somehow of Him and His grace and His name. He adopts us as sons and He puts this life-giving Spirit into us that rivers of life will flow from. And all of these things um, happen. And not only that, that is our reminder that He is the guarantee, not us. Not our obedience, not our awesomeness, not our awfulness. He alone is the guarantee of our salvation to come. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. I know, we're looking at lots of verses. I could have picked a lot more, but <laughs> and there's so much good stuff. Um, in Colossians 1 verse 24. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up for what is lacking. I'm sorry. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And he says in verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works in me. Paul's reliance on the Spirit of God that lives within him, that others may know, that this mystery, that for generations and generations, um, people have been wondering, how is this going to happen? What is this going to look like? That he would choose people like us to reveal this to the world. That Christ lives within us, and he chose us to show the world the hope of his glory. This is good news. It is incredibly good news. Turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll land the plane with this. As Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Praise God. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is incredible news. Jesus, here at the Feast of Booths, makes some incredible claims. He claims to be speaking from the authority of God. He claims to be the Son of God. He claims to be God himself. He claims um, to be the one who will send the Spirit that they so long to have where rivers of life will flow from their hearts. It is Jesus whom we follow. It is not a way of life. It is not um, a set of rules. It is Jesus So as the rest of the passage goes on in verse 40, it says, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some have said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a vision among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Friends, today, who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? Is he a system of rules, a way of life? Is he the one that gives you life? Is he the one that has redeemed you and rescued you, who has justified you, who the one who is sanctifying you even today, extending grace? Is he the one who resides within you that is the guarantee of your salvation to come? Is he the one that has adopted you and rescued you from this sin? And is he the one that you are serving with all of your life and telling the world? And are there rivers of life flowing from inside you? We could go on and and talk about what this looks like. But think of our words. Because right out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. Just that alone. Is it rivers of life that is flowing from within us? Or is it something else altogether? My hope today is that we see how incredible Jesus is. That we see that he came um, to seek and to save that which was lost. That he came to rescue us. And he alone is worthy of our lives. Let's pray. God, today, I'm confident um, that as Jesus was there at that feast, God, the, the stirring of what was going on in people's minds, whether to believe or to not believe, to disbelieve, to arrest him, to tattle on him, to uh, see plots to kill him, wondering, is he the prophet that was promised? Is he Elijah? Is he the Messiah. God, we are um, incredibly grateful that he would come, 
that he would take on flesh, that he would die for people like us. And God, today, only you know what is in our hearts today. God, as you have told us that all who believe in you have your spirit living within them. God, you know if that is true in our lives today. And God, if someone today doesn't know you, doesn't actually know you, God, that maybe they know a system of rules or religion or a way of life, but God, they don't know you. God, I just ask that you would open their eyes today, that they would see you, much like you've done um, in an act of grace um, for many of us. And God, for us um, that do have this spirit that is a river of life, God, that we would step out of the way as you um, seek to transform us day by day. And God, that life would come from our actions, from our words, from our thoughts. God, that people would see uh, why it is that we have this hope um, and glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.